Okay. So, when we look at the Blessed Trinity, one of the ways in which we can understand the nature of God, who God is, is that God is like a family. Okay? God is like a family. That from all of eternity, God is a communion of persons. All right? The Father, from all of eternity, loves the Son. And the Son returns that love to the Father from all of eternity, right? Because they're two perfect persons, two divine persons. Of course, they love each other, and they love each other perfectly. So the love that exists between them is also perfect. And we call that love the Holy Spirit. The love that exists between the Father and the Son is fruitful, all right? Now, when we go back to Genesis, right? we hear that God creates man in his own image. In fact, the second Genesis uh, creation story says, um, when, when God speaks, he says, let us make man in our image. Not let me, let us, because God is a trinity of persons. So anytime that God creates, God creates as a trinity it's not just the Father who creates or the Son who creates. It's the entire Trinity that is creative in its, in its activity. So when God creates the first persons, who we, who we name Adam and Eve, um, God creates them in his own image. And the first way to understand this is that, is that the human person has intellect and will. What does it mean to be created in the image and likeness of God? It means that we can know and that we can choose freely means we can have knowledge, means we can also love and we can, we can act freely, right? This is what it means first, principally, to be created in the image and likeness of God. No other creature on earth has those two powers of the soul, right? No other creature can choose freely. No other creature has rationality. They're not created in the image of, and likeness of God in that way. But further, God creates Adam and Eve right? And he creates them in this union of love, man and woman. And this union of love is marriage, and he gives them a commandment, the first commandment. Right? The first commandment is, don't, is not don't sin. The first commandment is be fruitful and multiply. The first commandment is that their love would be fruitful just as God's love is fruitful. Because since they are created in the image and likeness of God, they now are to image God's love most perfectly as they can. So just as the Father and the Son have love, right? Their love is fruitful, namely it, it brings about the person of the Holy Spirit, the husband and wife, their love to be fruitful brings about right, human persons. And so what we can understand then is that not only is, is the human person creating the image and likeness of God, but so is the family created in the image and likeness of God. The family is like God. So when we, when we speak of marriage and when we speak of family, you know, why does the church take such strong positions on these points, it's because we believe that God has created us in his image and has created family and marriage 
as, as a result of who he is in his nature, that when a man and a woman come together in marriage, that this is, this is also a revelation of who God is. It's a partial, it's not a perfect revelation, but it can be an image or revelation of who God is. And so can the family be an image and revelation of who God is. Because God created marriage and God created family. And so when the state, you know, decides to redefine marriage and the, and the church says, you can't do that. And the state says, well, we can do whatever we want. And the church says, well, you can do You can, sure, you can put it in a law and you can say you redefined it, but you didn't redefine it. You can write whatever you want on your fancy papers, but it doesn't make it so because you didn't create marriage. And in fact, our founding fathers, when they speak of the rights that are given to citizens, do not speak of creating rights. They speak of protecting rights that were endowed by our creator, right? At our founding, our, our, our nation, our founding fathers understood that the rights of the human person did not come from the state because we're not communists, right? The rights of the human person come from God. And it's the state's responsibility to protect that which has been bestowed on the human person from God. Freedom, life, liberty, happiness, right? All of these things God has bestowed, including marriage between a man and a woman, including a family that comes from this marriage, this fruitful marriage between a man and a woman. All right, but, but a further point. When we begin, despite what the state may say or despite what anybody else may say, you know, when individual human beings start to say, well, I'm going to define for myself what a marriage will look like between any number of genders or persons, etc. Right now, now we're not merely we're not merely redefining marriage, we're redefining the nature of God. Because there's a connection. I mean, if you're following me, right, this has to do with with how we understand God. God has created us in his image. This is what we believe. This is how God has revealed himself. I have created man in my own image. I have created family in my own image. And when we mess with that, we mess with our understanding of God. And when marriage can become anything, it essentially loses any definition. When marriage can become any number of persons or any gender of persons, it, if it can become anything, it's essentially nothing because it loses any definition. And which, when family can become anything, any number of persons, right? Any number of, of possibilities, it loses any possible definition. But in doing so, it also loses any reference to that which it came. Does this make sense? So if marriage and family come from God and we change how we define it, we've also changed how we define God and our relationship to God. And then man loses that connection in its most intimate way, marriage and family. Man loses his connection between himself and God. He becomes untethered. And this is one of the primary illnesses 
and sicknesses, pathologies of our society. And so the, the concept of God floats away, you know, like a, uh, like a helium balloon, you know, that, that a kid lets go of. And it just, well, I'll tell you an even better story. I got my, uh, I got my nephew a drone for Christmas, not a big one. And I said to him, okay, look, I read, he's 16, so he doesn't listen. He's, so I said to him, I read the reviews, and they said, if you fly it too high, the wind's going to catch it, it's going to fly away, you're going to lose it. So don't do that. The second day he comes to me and he says, well, uncle, guess what? <laughs> what? I flew it too high, the wind took it, it flew away. Where'd it go? I don't know. It's gone. <laughs> it just flew away. Right? That image of that or a balloon just being untethered and flying away. So too our image of God is just gone. Our relationship to God is gone. When our most intimate relationship, that of family, that of, of husband and wife, is essentially completely exploded, right? It, it becomes nihilistic. It becomes nothing because it becomes anything. When that is gone, so too does our relationship and understanding of God become the same because no longer are we connected to its source. So what can you do? Number one, as you go out, because this, this, is, a, this is a common thing today, and, and as you know, there are so many bullies out there. You can't talk about anything, right? You can't say anything. Well, I'm against gay marriage, right? You lose your job, you lose your home, you lose your, yeah, can't say anything. Well, you know, at some point, the bully's got to get smacked in the nose. And you've got to say, look, you don't have to do it violently, of course. I'm not espousing that. You, metaphorically, you have to, you know, you have to stand up and say, well, look, I believe in God. And I believe that God created marriage. And I believe that God created family. And he created these things in his image, and he divinely revealed this. I'm a believer in God, and therefore, therefore, I'm going to stick with God's definition. And that's good enough for me. That's one thing you can do, very simply. Then the second thing you can do, I think, in your homes, and this is even more important than that, even though more important than that, my suggestion is to make your homes into a sort of make sure that, that there's a Christian ethos or culture in your homes. It's important that you say your prayers before your meals with your kids. It's important that you teach your kids how to pray before they go to bed. It doesn't have to be long. It can be short. You know, grab your wife's hands before bed and say, honey, let's pray. And say in our Father, Hail Mary, glory be, and, and say, let's pray for the kids. Let's pray for us. It doesn't have to be long. I guarantee she will love it. I guarantee she will love it. She'll be surprised as heck, but she will love it. You, you, will, you will gain huge props for that. Huge, you're welcome. You're welcome. Grab her hands and just say, let's pray. It's a manly thing to do to lead. Lead your wife in spirituality. Do not be afraid. You know, teach each other to pray. Teach your kids to pray. Have the statues, have the crucifixes. Create an environment where God is just present all the time. 
Because when we go out there, he's not. So we have to make sure that in our homes and obviously in our churches, God is always present. He's with us because he is so much a part of our lives that we could never imagine leaving him out. Please stand.